Good evening. Big welcome to Forest Fold. If you're joining us online or if you're here with us, a number of people have gone to the baptism service this evening of Tilly Philpot, so time of great rejoicing for them. Um, but here, whether we are two or three or a church full, uh, we are here to worship the Lord and Jesus has promised to be with us and bless us and speak to us through his word, so we look to him to do that. Well, we've got some great words to be singing this evening and uh, we're going to sing our first song. It's based on Ephesians 1 and the great blessings that come to us as Christians and that God is worthy of our praise and he is to be glorified. Come praise and glorify God, our God, the Father of our Lord. Let's stand to sing. words from 1 Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead 
to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Let's pray. Lord, what amazing words we have sung, what amazing words we have read, that you have uh, given us new life, that we are born again through the work of God, through the Holy Spirit in our lives. We were once dead in our trespasses and sins. We were once lost as sheep going astray. Yet in your wonderful grace and mercy, for those of us who are your children, we have been brought back. We've been brought to life. We've been given sight to see things we never saw before. Lord, we thank you for your amazing grace. It was while we were still sinners, it was while we were still your enemies, that you bought us, that you saved us, that you reconciled us to God out of great love. Lord, we can never comprehend the depth, the breadth, the height, the duration of your love for us. But we know it's big. And the more that we come to know you, the more that we live day by day to serve you, Lord, the more we understand, we realise there's so much more we need to know about you. And that our grasp of you is just so small and insufficient. Lord, I pray that you'd, you'd help each one of us as Christians. That, Lord, we'd live lives which are full of praise to you. That any uh, opportunity we have to give you the glory, that we will. Any opportunity we have to point away from ourselves to, towards you and your grace, that we'd do that. You are worthy of all of our praise. You are worthy of all glory and honour. And Lord, we give thanks to you this evening. Lord, we perhaps remember back to the days when we did live in darkness, before we heard your call. Lord, we were without hope in this dark world. We were living under the wrath of God. We lived in rebellion. And the things that promised us life and joy and hope uh, slipped through our fingers. They, they turned out to be of no help to us. And yet now we have found in Christ everything that we need for life and for eternity. Lord, how much we thank you for that. And Lord, we pray, uh, as Tilly is baptised this evening, that you'll bless her as she begins uh, the Christian life you've called her to. Lord, bless her and her family and wider family and relatives and the church there. We pray that it will be a great time of celebration and thanksgiving this evening. So Lord, be with us here as we come under your word once again. We believe your word is living and powerful, has the ability to search deep into our soul, to speak a word of encouragement where we need it, to help us to keep going, to challenge us, to search us out. And Lord, help us to be open to that. As you are not just our Saviour, but you are our Lord, our Master. And we would be transformed into the image of your dear Son. 
So help us and bless us this evening. Help John as he preaches to us later. Encourage him and bless him to us, we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to sing our second song together now. Church of God, elect and glorious, holy nation, chosen race. Let's stand and sing this. Bible reading this evening is from the New Testament in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and that's on page 965 in the Church Bibles. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and we're going to read from verse 7 through to chapter 4 verse 6. And Paul's really comparing and contrasting the difference between being a believer in Old Testament days and the far greater privilege of being a believer in gospel days that we 
living. So let's start reading verse 7 of chapter 3. Now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, What once had glory has come to no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. Because because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's pray again. Lord, as we prayed earlier, what a blessing it is to be a Christian. And in light of those verses, that the veil of hardness of heart and unbelief has been taken away for us. And so that we have some glimpse, some sight, by faith, of the Lord in his glory. Oh Lord, what a privilege it is, and we thank you once again. And because we've received such joy and such a blessing, we want that to be shared by others. 
And so, Lord, we pray for this church. We pray for the preaching of your word. We pray for the teaching of your word. We pray for the spiritual encouragement, the evangelism of this church. And Lord, we just pray for your Holy Spirit's blessing so that as your word goes out, it will be with great purpose. Purpose to save. Purpose to bring new life. Lord, we we can't do any of that. However well organised our events, however eloquent people may speak, without your Holy Spirit, words fall on deaf ears and dead hearts. And so Lord, as we pray for this coming week, for First Tuesdays, people are naturally at the end of their lives, unprepared, many of them, to face their maker. Lord, we pray and the leaders keep praying and we've prayed again and again, Lord, that as they hear the message that Mark brings on Tuesday, Lord, would it be a time of the light shining into their hearts, even at this stage of hardened, perhaps hardened unbelief, Lord, we believe that you can break through that and give faith and life. Lord, please do that this Tuesday. Bless those who work so hard in all the practicalities of that, the care and the love that is shown. Give them great encouragement this Tuesday, we pray. And we think of the pandemonium of first steps and we pray for those who come on, on Thursday. We ask that something of the story that is uh, told and what is taught so simple yet we pray that there will be an interest sparked in especially in those who are parents and carers to want to know more about the gospel Lord give energy and strength to those who lead that give them compassion give them wisdom and opportunities and the words to say in those times Lord we pray we think of our services coming up as well We don't want this Christmas, Lord, to just be another tradition. Singing familiar songs and reading familiar passages of the Bible. We could so easily miss what's truly going on. Oh Lord, we pray that uh, through the efforts of our church here, that your, your Holy Spirit will be at work. Lord, thank you for so many who work in so many different ways. So many practically working behind the scenes and Lord we ask your blessing on them that as we serve you as a church together it will be out of a heart of love for others and a love for one another. Lord we think further afield we pray for churches in our locality and across our country. Lord many churches are discouraged with few people to do the work. Uh, Perhaps an older generation a congregation, and we pray that you'd encourage them. We ask for a reviving of your work in our land. Lord, we pray for that. And we pray that it will be something that, as churches, we often pray for, striving for the truth and praying for those around us. And further afield, we pray, Lord, for uh, missionaries across the world. We think of the Saywells in the Philippines, Thank you for the way that you're blessing that church plant. We pray that there will be a a really established core of believers meeting there 
and he'll give them, uh, provide for their growing needs for accommodation for a church or for potentially uh, coming together officially as a, as a new church. Lord, we, we pray for your continued blessing on that um, effort there. We commit Rosie to you, Lord, and ask that you'd prepare her to return to Papua New Guinea. Lord, we ask that you'll bless the arrangements coming up for that in this coming month. We ask that you'll equip her. You'll be very close to her and that she'll feel your strength as she depends on you. We ask that you'll give her enthusiasm and the energy uh, for the work to return to. We pray that this time ahead will be a real time of blessing, both for her and to the Christians who she serves and the locality there. Lord, we commit to you our folk in Cyprus and we ask your blessing on them today, the services that they've had. Lord, in whatever language, we thank you that your word is not barred, is not chained, is not limited and we pray your blessing on that church in all the huge variety of people and backgrounds and Lord bless them with real unity and love for each other and as the case often happens that many who have been useful in the church then move on or back to their homeland we pray that you'd provide replacement people who will will take up the baton from them and be a great use and a support and help in that church Bless James and Rachel, the other elders and those who work in the church there. Encourage them, Lord, we pray, and give them the health and the strength they need to serve you in that way. So, Lord, we commit ourselves to you and ask that you'd help each one of us here. All of our needs are known to you as we live out our lives. We thank you that you are our shepherd to guide us. Sometimes we can say that our cup runs over. You've spread a banquet before us. Sometimes we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes we need your guidance and your comfort. We thank you that as our shepherd you are everything to us. And we will never be in need. Lord help us to rely on that and to trust in you. In whatever direction our pathway is taking at the moment, help us to be encouraged that through the trials of life you are refining our faith. So Lord, bless us this evening as we come under the teaching and preaching of your word. We offer thanks to you for the many blessings you give to us. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we're going to sing our third hymn now. Oh, what matchless condescension the eternal God displays. Let's stand to sing.
Well, last week, if you were here in the evening, we were looking at the end of a, a baptism day here last week at that verse, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And I was uh, touched to, to hear during the week of a young person's prayer request at family worship at the end of last Sunday, which was that we might grow in Christ. That was really nice. And I wonder how many of us went away with a prayer like that or found ourselves praying something like that. Maybe quite a few of us that we might grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Well, there was another verse about growth which I mentioned towards the end of that service and uh, That's in 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18. And it's one I want to return to this week and think about a bit more. It's a a very important verse actually. It's quite deep, but it's very important and very helpful. Uh, Here here it is. And we all, with unveiled, unveiled face, Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. It's got a very important message um, about how growth happens in in, in the Christian life. So this is, uh, you know, this is on track if you're concerned about growth, about the sort of dynamic of Christian growth, if I could put it like this, or a key dynamic, there's different ways of, different emphasis, different things to look at in Christian growth, but this is a key dynamic and sometimes it can be overlooked. And it, in many ways, this is, this is a theme that we come back to, it's that gazing leads to growing. Gazing leads to growing or if I could put it a slightly different way, beholding leads to becoming. Similar, isn't it? Beholding leads to becoming. So, perhaps you can see it in the verse, if I go back. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So a lot of the chapter has been talking about how good it is to live in New Testament times. John introduced it in that way. In the Gospel age, uh, the Old Testament times were good, but uh, the coming of Jesus makes things just so much better. And it's such a good time to serve in and to minister in. And he's uh, talking about the comparison of sort of Old Testament ministry with gospel ministry. I guess the false teachers there in Corinth were trying to take him back to what they said was a good old days. And Paul was having none of it. He was glad he lived in New Testament times. There was the ministry of the Spirit, the ministry of righteousness. There was the ministry of freedom. There was a ministry which was a permanent ministry. It's the ministry of life. And he was uh, wanting to hang on to it and to keep serving in it. So he starts the next chapter 
Therefore, having received this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. And within all that, he talks here about really the the privilege and the progress, the privilege and the progress of the Christian life. And that's our verse 18, which we're going to explore. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Two halves to this evening, probably a little bit more on the first half. Two simple headings, I hope. Gazing at glory. That's our first half. Gazing at glory. We do like to gaze at what is glorious, impressive, appealing, attractive, don't we? A friend said to me this week, just loved looking at the autumn colours over the hill. It was beautiful colours, even late into November. It just loved stopping to look at them, gazing at glory. I just remember a couple of years ago, I was on my normal walk and I was walking along uh, down to St John's Road, heading down St John's Road, and this car indicated and drew into the side of the road, didn't turn off, drew into the side of the road, and the lady got out and was looking ahead. It's a nice tree, beautiful autumn colours. She got out her phone and she take a, took a picture, and then got back in her car and went off. Just so impressive. She wanted to look at it, and she wanted a snap of it so that she could look at it later. She liked gazing at glory. And the the Christian, because of the work of the Spirit, gazes at the glory of the Lord. We gaze at the glory of the Lord. We, We don't have a veil. We are, it says here, we are unveiled. There was, a, there was a glory about Moses in the Old Testament. This is referring to something that happened in Exodus. Uh, he had a, a, a vow on him, so he couldn't see the glory of his face. It was slightly marred. But even more, those who are not born again, he explains, have a, a veil on their own heart. Stops them seeing. But when the Spirit has been at work, We are unveiled and we see the glory of the Lord. We gaze at his glory. So, uh, a bridegroom uh, loves his bride. I don't think it happens quite so much these days, but uh, imagine the the, the bride comes down the aisle with with a veil over. I don't think it happens quite so much, but a veil over her, her face and then when she comes to the, the front and she uh, is pointed towards her groom, perhaps the, the veil is taken off and he's been looking to see his bride and, and then he sees her face, her lovely face, the one he knows, the one he loves and he delights to look on her on their wedding day with un, unveiled face at sight of the one he laughs. And it's a, it's a picture for us, really. God's glory is shown and seen by us in Christ. And it's, it's, it's been our privilege to see that glory and to see more of that glory, to, 
to, to, to absorb that glory. It comes clear in chapter 4. At the end of verse 4, we see this. It talks about seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And then I think perhaps even more in verse 6, I think our last hymn, it was great to sing uh, what matchless condescension because it's really based on this verse. For God who has said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I've been looking at one of it sent me back to a, a book I read in the past called Through the Looking Glass by Chris Lundgaard and he, he says this at, at one point on this verse. And who can measure this privilege that we who are born in darkness and who deserve to be cast into utter darkness have been transported into this marvellous light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. He adds this, What are all the stained glories, the fading beauties of this world? Pile them all in a bucket and weigh them in the balance against one glimpse of God's face in Christ. They will be as a feather to an elephant. See, so taken up with the glory of God seen in Jesus and, and this is true for all Christians have started to see this. Because he says, doesn't he, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. So that's what you've seen. If you're born again, by God's grace, you've started to see this. You've started to see this. And it, it's, it's good, and it's right if we we take it in more, we gaze more, we absorb more, we behold more of the glory of Christ. Now, I think two of the best books I've read, maybe I've mentioned this before, but two, two of the best books that I've read have the same name. Uh, one is comparatively modern, and was written by a pastor where our daughter Beth actually goes now, but I, I read it before she started going there. Another is written by... Uh, a very well-known Puritan um, called John Owen, Peter Lewis and John Owen, different centuries, but they've both written a book called The Glory of Christ. And it goes through about Jesus and reveals his glory. And great books, great theme, beholding glory. There is glory in Christ, you know, Hebrews 1 says that Jesus is the, the radiance of God's glory, the outshining of God's glory. James talks about our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And as we read in God's word with the Spirit's help about Jesus, we, we just see, we take in this glory. Well, what aspects of Jesus, what he's done, who he is, what, what aspects 
are glorious? What aspects show his glory? What aspects are linked with his glory? I shan't ask for suggestions, but if I was going to ask, what, when you think of Jesus being glorious, what, what about him makes you think that he's glorious and shows God's glory? I think we can think of a few. We can think of his, his incarnation. Notice how the different verses I'm going to look at just sort of bring this out. Try and sort of mull on them, you know, like a, you know, not some sweets you scoff and they're gone down in no time. Other boiled sweets you just sort of suck on and you enjoy the flavours. Well, try and do that with this theme of the glory of Christ this evening. The glory of his incarnation of his coming down to earth, of his becoming man. John 1.14 And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. He came down and he, he was glorious because he was the glory of the Father and he was full, he was full of grace and truth and it was a glorious thing that God should choose to come down and to take on human flesh. So it's got quite a seasonal aspect to this, if you like, at the minute as we sort of tread into December, what are we, day three? That we are entering... Uh, a period where we think about one aspect of the glory of Christ, that he came down and took on flesh. And I started an Advent book this week, maybe you have, and it was interesting to see this in its intro. Then reading, one reading each day, December 1 to 24, we will aim to turn our gaze to Christ and ready our hearts for the feast to come. So maybe you've got some Advent theme for the coming days, and it will help you to just absorb and to take in the glory of Christ in his incarnation. I think we could say as well, in his miracles. Uh, What was the first miracle which he performed that we've got recorded? The wedding at Cana. We sometimes hear it in the wedding service, read that way. And he turned water into wine on that occasion. So in John, in John chapter 2. And how is it described at the end of the little account in verse 11? After it's described what happened, it says this. This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. You see, these signs, these miracles, were revelations, pulsating out shinings of the glory of Christ. They show his power, they show his grace, they show his compassion, they show his wisdom, they show his godness, they show what he came to bring, so that in this miracle the turning of water into wine, you just have a sense of the the joy and the abundance and the richness that comes in gospel days through Jesus Christ. 
So his miracles reveal his glory. And as we read them, we see more, have an opportunity to gaze at the glory of Christ. His transfiguration, surely. There was a glory in Jesus coming to earth, wasn't there? A glory in his character, glory in his actions, but, um, you know, one assumes that his appearance was normally ordinary, except for perhaps one occasion, when he was up the mountain, three of his disciples with him, and he was transfigured before them. And he, <coughs> he shone with, with brilliance. His appearance was, was dazzling. It's described that his face shone like the sun. His clothes were, were brilliant white. And Peter never forgets this incident and he writes about it. He writes about it. Where did that go? He writes about it in 2 Peter chapter 1. And this is what he says in verses 16 and 17. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for when he received honour and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So the transfiguration conveys to us the glory of Christ (coughs) gazing at glory well what else could we add, should we add his crucifixion as Jesus approaches the moment of the cross he he puts it like this in John chapter 12 and verse 32 verse 28 Father glorify your name then a voice came from heaven I have glorified it and will glorify it again talking of the coming of the cross And, and the cross, while to some people it just seems something to be trodden down underfoot as something irrelevant and to be disregarded, is, is to those who know better the purposes of God and who have been taught by the Spirit, a place of tremendous glory. It's almost like the prism where God's attributes are just so clearly seen, his wisdom and his love and his justice and his power and his grace as some of us heard this afternoon in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 they just shine out so much from the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ and as we consider the cross the love that went into the cross the effect of the cross the accomplishments of the cross we are ablaze really with the glory of Christ, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ 
We can think of his resurrection. In Romans 6, verse 4, it's put like this. (coughs) Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. We too may walk in newness of life. And as death's shackles are broken, as a man defeats death, as as he's raised by the power of God, as it leads to such tremendous triumph with eternal consequences for us, it is uh, a massive window on the glory of God as we think of the resurrection. So we sing, Thine be the glory, risen, conquering Son. And we could go as well to his exaltation. Jesus ascended and then exalted into into heaven, the right hand of the Father, described in this way in Hebrews 2 and verse 9. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honour. At the end of Luke, it talks about the the way in which scriptures are fulfilled in Jesus. And it it puts it in, in this way. Luke 24, 20, 26. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? So, we don't see it with our physical eyes now, but with the eye of faith that God has given us and with his word as it's opened up to us, we we see his glory as he is crowned with glory and honour as a conquering saviour now on the right hand of the Father. We, we await to see that finally. This gazing is not complete. Jesus prayed that great prayer in John 17 and he says at the end, Father, I desire that they also that you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. So, there is so much more for us to still see of the glory of Christ. But from all that we've looked at here, you see, there is much on display now. (coughs) We, We see, we enjoy, we gaze. Perhaps you book a hotel room sometimes and uh, you'll probably find that uh, thank you Pete that there's uh, different prices uh, when you look on, on your booking.com and, and whatever for the different uh, rooms and some of them are more expensive because they are a room with a view and people are prepared to pay more for a, if you can if you can look you can pull back your curtains and you can see the sea in front of you it's worth a bit isn't it? We like to be able to see and gaze at something attractive. Well, Christians, you have that privilege. 
You've got a room with a view, if you like. You're able to see because the Spirit has worked in your heart. You're able to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ in all the different aspects of his life and work. And it's, it's good to gaze and it's good to absorb and it's good to behold. You know, we, we sometimes, don't we, some of us are, are a little bit sort of Scan readers. I put myself in that category. Perhaps you are. I find it quite difficult sometimes to read normal pace. You know, we speed read, don't we? If you're used to going through lots of documents and stuff at work or you've spent time studying, you, you speed read or you flick down your screens of your news feeds, maybe. You don't read everything, but you just look for a, an icon or an image or a, a heading that catches your eye. But then... If something interests you, you, you do stop, don't you? You, you? you pause it on the scroll down. And, and maybe you, you press on the image, maybe you enlarge the image. You think, this is interesting, I want to I see this. And you sort of enlarge it as big as you can on the phone. You'll take in the, the detail and the information. Or maybe if it's a video, you, you play that. And, and if you like it, you, you play it again. Perhaps if it really interests you, you play it, or amuses you or whatever, you play it a few times. And with what we're thinking of about Jesus, all these things, good not just to let them sort of scroll down off the page, be sped right, but to stop and pause and enlarge and think on and suck on and chew on, gazing at glory. Gazing leads to growing. Beholding leads to becoming. And Doing this more then is, is linked in with our, our growth because we become glorious as we see his glory. That's the message of this verse. So we move on to growing in glory. Growing in glory. This tells us that we're being transformed And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. The word is metamorphis. It's, uh, you know, the caterpillar, the grubby caterpillar, which becomes the butterfly. There's a a metamorphis going on. There's a a major change going on. And, And this is what God is doing in the lives of Christians. We're being transformed from something spiritually grubby to something more and more beautiful. And uh, what is it we're being changed into? Well, we're being changed into the same image. We're being changed to be like Jesus. That's God's purpose. Romans eight twenty nine For those whom he for knew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. When you admire someone, you can start to become like them. Uh, this this book, Chris, I'm doing very well at the front here today, am I? This book by Chris Lingard, he talks about when he was a, a younger person. He's an American chap, and. Uh, 
when he was a teenager and, and there was somebody called Lex and uh, Lex was a, a cool guy but he was a rather nice cool guy as well he was quite a sportsman sort of person that everyone looked up to I'll just give you a few snippets uh, but Lex, Lex wasn't just fast and cute he was warm and sincere and humble and respectful and kind and gracious and he was all this without being a square not only would you want to be Lex's friend, but your parents would want you to be his friend. That's quite something. He wasn't your ordinary teenager, nor was he your typical superstar. Well, as it happens, uh, the author of this book, Chris, um, ends up um, sort of linking up with uh, Lex and uh, seeing him after school because they went to the same gym and then he gets invited uh, round Lex's house and they become friends, and he carries on. As this friendship ripened, I noticed that something was happening to me. My, la- my laugh changed. My smile started to draw up slightly to one side, rather the way Lex's smile drew to one side. I started using words I heard him use. Even the way I sat changed. It was as if I was auditioning to be Lex's double. You could say I was being moulded into his image. When you admire somebody, when you spend time with them, you become like them. And that's what's happening to Christians. We're we spend time with Jesus, we watch Jesus, we behold Jesus, and we become like Jesus. We become moulded in his image. I can't quite say we become his double, but you know what I mean. Let's try and just think of, of examples of how that might work. Think of ways in which knowing Jesus better, experiencing what Jesus does, reading about him, how it might affect our behaviour so that we're growing. As you can think of things, how does it work out? drop this, the arrows go the wrong way so I could go backwards rather than forwards well one area one example could be patience and and by that I mean sort of long term patience, endurance Um, with somebody recently who'd had a, a lot of long term pain many, many months, perhaps years of long term pain and discomfort And we read together Hebrews 12 and it it reminds us of the endurance that Jesus went through. Let us run with endurance, verse 1, the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. 
Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. So, when you're facing ongoing difficulty and pain, maybe physically, maybe in people's hostility to to you, uh, maybe when you're feeling under pressure and stress, and it feels unrelenting, and you think of Jesus, and you pile up all he endured, and the way he pressed on and carried on and didn't press the escape button, and he kept going, and as you see the glory of Jesus in his endurance, well, you become more like him. Not perfectly, but his endurance leads to your endurance. You grow as you gaze. Don't you think? Or a second one might be in the area of forgiveness. So, um, you're tempted to feel really hard towards somebody. Maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a work colleague, maybe it's a sports competitor, maybe it's a fellow Christian. You're tempted to feel really hard towards them because of what they've done. You're, You're tempted to feel really bitter You're tempted to feel quite revengeful. And then you think of Jesus. And you see the way Jesus was towards those around him. And you think of the way Jesus has been towards you. And as you gaze at the glory of Jesus and his forgiving love, well, your heart starts to mellow and the hardness begins to thaw. Paul says, Ephesians 4.32, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Happens bit by bit. One degree of glory to another, the verse tells us, But the more we take in the glory of Christ, the more we grow like him. That's the dynamic. That's the way it works. President Carter, uh, his wife died away this week. I don't know if you have to go back a bit to President Carter. Back in the 70s, President of the United States. Interestingly, he and his wife often referred to their practice of reading the Bible together. That's what, this is a, not a Christian biography, this is a non-Christian biography, a uh, non-Christian obituary that I've read. But it also said this about uh, Rosalind Carter, who's died this week. She worked so closely with her husband, Jimmy Carter, that he described her as an extension of myself. She was so close that she was sort of almost part of him. And no, no, that for the believer, We've become so close to him that we're almost an extension of his love and compassion and wisdom and grace to others. It's the work of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And that's a key sort of growth dynamic. You know, we can look to grow as a Christian in some unhealthy ways. Looking to impress others. 
observing lots of just mere traditions, piling up your own sort of tick box of demands on yourself. And there might be some progress and growth, but in some ways it's a bit shallow and ugly in all three of those. But this is beautiful. This is healthy Christian growth. That we're taken up with Christ. Just works through us. Like Chris to Lex became more like him. We become like Christ and it's healthy and it's beautiful. We're gazing at glory. We're growing in glory. Gaze at the glory of Jesus. Grow in the glory of Jesus. Gazing leads to growing. Beholding leads to becoming. Now we've had a good innings. I hope it's not been too long an innings for you. Didn't mean it to be quite as long as it's been, but I'm not quite finished yet. And I've got three questions that I want to just put up for hmm, about half a minute, maybe a minute, for personal reflection at the end. Um, so think about them, or, or jot, jot them down. But most, most importantly, think about them now. So rather, rather than write them all down now and not get a chance to think about them, forget about them later, think about them now. Three questions for a bit of reflection before I pray and we have our last hymn. I'll read them through at the start. Have I seen something of the glory of Jesus? What will help me gaze at his glory? How am I growing more like him? Have a think. Lord, help me to gaze at the glory of Jesus. Help me to grow in the glory of Jesus. We thank you that by your Spirit you have displayed your wonderful brilliance through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, We're going to sing a hymn to close. We did sing it last week, but um, I wanted to come back to it because it's um, so relevant. And if we can go to the last one, um, you'll see why. Actually, I've got the title of the sermon from this. Finish then your new creation, pure and sinless let us be. Let us see your great salvation, perfect in eternity. Change from glory into glory, till in heaven we take our place till we cast our crowns before you, lost in wonder, love and praise.
May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father, the presence and power and fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.